We have just had a brutal cold snap in the Midwest of the country. It got down to 35 below zero in Dawn's hometown, Boscobel, Wisconsin. Now that's so cold you can't take a deep breath in your lungs without hurting yourself. Here, in the mountains of western North Carolina, it got down to 14 degrees. It doesn't seem that bad compared to what they had in Boscobel and Chicago and Minneapolis, but it was cold for us. Our neighbor Curtis left the outside door to his basement open one night and his water pipes froze. He had to borrow one of those indirect fired forced air kerosene heaters from Winston, another neighbor, to thaw them out. Luckily, they didn't break. I heard all about it from each of them. I was down feeding Clifton's chickens that morning, and their water trough had frozen solid, four inches deep. He has a barrel next to the coop that catches rainwater from the roof. So I picked my way out there through the frozen muck and cow manure, a most treacherous route, and grabbed a big rock to bust a hole in the ice of that barrel. I got a hole and it wasn't big enough to get my bucket in. I worked on it some more. I splashed water on my fingers and they got numb and the rock slipped out of my hand and fell to the bottom of the barrel. The chickens were all standing around looking at me from their atrium like, Come on, human. We're not only cold, we're thirsty. So I had to pick my way down through the ice-covered rocks and ice down to the creek and fill my bucket and haul it back up. Thank God Clifton has recovered enough that on Saturday he took back his feeding duties. Now he's doing it himself again. So talk about crazy. The last three days here have been in the 60s, and we'll have two days in the 70s this week. I'm not complaining. It's just a comment. Hello, this is Ernie Johnson, founder and owner of Anashira. I'm on a new schedule of publishing these podcasts, one every two weeks. So don't get discouraged if you don't find one every week. As my dad used to say, just hold your horses. I told you last week about our newly introduced soap, Deep Forest. It's excellent. Soothing to your skin. Try it. You'll buy a couple of bars and want more to give to your good friends. This weather has made me think of spring, so I put in a new discount only for you podcast listeners. It's Spring Stories 15. No spaces. It's good for 15% discount on all items. And it's valid through June 21st. That's right, the end of spring. I left you two weeks ago in the conference center in Garafonwald waiting for my German guest family to come and pick me up. So let me tell you what happened. finishing up the conference in this small German city. A number of students, Americans, Europeans, Latinos, and others, who were going to live with German families for the next year, were all together. We were all apprehensive because what had been for months a concept that would happen one day was imminent. It was going to happen. 
We were told that we would be a member of the family. We would call our guest parents Muta and Fata, or Muti and Fati, mom and dad. I was a kid who liked my personal space. This immediate intimacy, Muti and Fati, was far out of my comfort zone. But much of our orientation revolved around this very thing, getting out of our comfort zone. We had some very smart people coaching us. One man told us, you came here for several reasons, to experience a different life, to grow intellectually and emotionally, to expand the possibilities for your life. So I encourage you, choose to get out of your comfort zone every day. Embrace it. When someone invites you to do something as strange as it may seem, just say, yes, or sounds great. It may be an experience that will open up your life. Those were very intelligent thoughts, and I referred back to them regularly that year. I still do. So the day of integration came. The families came to pick us up in their cars. They had staggered the time of pickup. Germans are punctual. If they told everyone to be there at 11, there would have been a traffic jam at 10. It was time for the autumns. I was waiting in the meeting room with my suitcase. Very excited, but nervous. In they walked. A tall, stout man, a demure young woman, and a tall young man. The man marched up and stuck out his hand and said, in a clear, loud tone, Wilhelm Adams. Hello, I said, Ernie Johnson. And this is Lurdy Adams. The woman smiled and said warmly in English, excellent English, I am so glad to finally meet you, Ernie Johnson. The young man stepped over, easily four inches taller than I. I am Ulrich. You can call me Uli. Everyone does. Hello, Uli. We loaded up. They drove an Opel Cadet in some version of brown. You couldn't turn your head on a German road and not see an Opel in those days. We tried speaking German on the way to Oberhausen, a lost cause for me. So we spoke in English. Wilhelm did most of the talking. He explained where they lived, called the Ruhrgebiet. It was on the Ruhr River, center of much of Germany's heavy industry. You will find this is a center of our coal industry, deep underground mines. Coal provides most of our energy. You will find steel mills, blast furnaces. You will find we speak Hochdeutsch, high German. It is pure and correct. It's not far to Oberhausen, 74 kilometers. Oh, I have to admit something to you. When I was recording the last episode, I called him Wolfgang Adams. I realized it after I had recorded it, edited it, and sent it off. His name was Wilhelm. He'd turn over in his grave if he heard me call him Wolfgang. He explained when we arrived in Oberhausen, we live in a suburb called Oberhausen-Osterfeld. Ah, we now enter Osterfeld. Ah, here is our street, Stefan-Georgestrasse. Stefan-Georga was a great German poet. I'm sure you will read much of his work before your year is ended. Yeah, I supposed I might. 
He is a house, Nummer 17, 17. Come, I will show you your new home. So we got out, and I got a thorough tour of the Adams house. It was two stories with a basement. We heat with coal, he explained to me. It was for me a smaller house, but very well designed. Here is your bedroom. It belonged to our son Klaus, who is now in St. Louis, Missouri, living with an American family. He suggested that I freshen up and that we meet in the backyard on the patio in 50 minutes at two o'clock for a family council meeting. Okay. I did wash my face, unpacked part of my suitcase, and sat down. There was a knock at my door. It was Uli. May I enter? Come on in. Ernie, I'm glad to meet you. I believe we will spend much time together. I will introduce you to my friends. Oh, our father seems very, uh, streng. How do you say? Strong? Strict? Do not worry. He is precise. Underneath, he is a warm person. He does have high expectations of us all. Don't worry. You will do fine. Oh, it's nice of him to tell me that. I felt a little bit, little bit better. So we went down for our 2 p.m. conference for coffee. I found out that Germans love to take a break in mid-afternoon for coffee. Strong, fresh, delicious, filtered coffee and cake or some cookies. The four of us sat under an umbrella on his flagstone patio overlooking his relatively small but lush and pristine lawn and garden, Wilhelm's pride and joy. We drank our coffee and ate a piece of cake. Wilhelm sat up straight and leaned over the table towards me. Ernie, there are some matters we should discuss as a family. It is best we do this now. Are you in agreement? Oh, one of those meetings. Yes, certainly. We have met amongst ourselves. Folke is not here today, but has given us his counsel. We are determined to make this year as rewarding for you as possible. If it is, it will be rewarding for us as well. So here are our thoughts. You should be known here as Ernst. It is the German version of Ernest. Do you agree? That's fine. All right, Ernst. Now, you see that we all understand and speak English, so we could go forward much as we have today. We can speak some German and some English. You will learn some German, and our English will certainly improve. But you will never master the German language, and you will not think like a German, and you will not take full advantage of this year. Do you understand what I am saying? I think so. What we propose is, from this moment on, we speak only German with you. And you speak only German with us and to everyone else. We have an excellent German dictionary for you to have that will help you. If you do not know what we say, look up the definition in the German dictionary. I must have looked a little dumbfounded. Yes, I know it will be difficult the first few months. Your brain will get fatigued. But if you do not become fluent in German, you will not think in German. And if you do not think in German, you will not dream in German. 
And if you do not dream in German, you will not understand the German spirit. He paused. I was sort of in shock. I had thought I'd ease my way into this German business. They were all looking at me intently. It's your decision one way or the other. Pause. So what is it, Ernst? I thought. I really had no option. Okay, only German it is. Das ist in Ordnung, he said. Oh, one more thing before we abandon English. You are a part of the family. Ludi and I would like for you to call us Muti and Fati. Is that all right? Yes, I said, das ist in Ordnung. Thank God they were patient people. We learned to have a pad of paper and pencil around at all times, if not to spell out words and to draw figures of what we wanted to say. You ever play charades? Well, my life for a while was charades. I wrote everything down. I had my notice book, my notebook. I took that everywhere. That night, the neighbors came by to meet me, along with Muti's sister, Tante Ellie. Thank God Ika Olsen had made sure I knew a number of useful key phrases. One of them was, Ich freue mich, Sie kennenzulernen. It's nice to meet you. I use that one a lot. The next day was Friday. Uli was off from the university for summer. He and Muti gave me a further orientation into their world. Wilhelm had a mid-level executive job for the HOAG, H-O-A-G, which stood for the Hüttenwerk Oberhausen Arbeitsgemeinschaft. One word. Try to translate. Metallurgical plant, iron, steel, and smelting works. He studied chemistry at the University of Cologne. He commuted there on Mondays and back on Fridays. Volker, the eldest son, studied in Münster. He returned infrequently on weekends. I learned that on Fridays, Muti and Fatih went out for the evening to their Stammtisch, which means that they had a special table in a local pub. They met every Friday there with their neighbors and friends. They'd eat, drink, play cards, talk. Uli got the car that night. I was to go out with him and his best friend, Jürgen Keisinger, Kai, to visit a few Kneipen, local bars, pubs. So Muti fixed us a light dinner. We all got dressed. Uli and I got the keys. On the way out, Muti said, Kommt her! And stuck a five-mark piece in each of our hands. Now, I didn't know how far a German mark went in the late 60s, but I found out it was a long way. I did enjoy our time together. Uli had taught me a few phrases to help me in my conversation. Ich bin Ami. Ami is slang for Americaner. American. Not negative, not positive, completely neutral phrase. Ich bin Austauschschüler. I'm an exchange student. Ich finde Deutschland wunderschön. I find Germany wonderfully beautiful. Deutschland hat das beste Bier der ganzen Welt. Germany has the best beer in the whole world. Deutsche Mädchen sind außerordentlich hübsch. German girls are extremely attractive. 
And of course, post to your health. It's amazing how your language skills improve after a beer or two. We got home late. We didn't have to sneak in. Quite a bit different from my life in California. The next day, we woke up later than normal. Folka had come home. I said, hello. He seemed much more serious than Uli. They asked me to describe my first night in a German pub. Uli told me to tell them some of my new phrases, which made even Fati laugh. Uli was great. Every week, he'd make sure I had 10 or 20 new phrases. So Fati told us as we were drinking our coffee outside under the umbrella that he had a surprise for me and Ulrich. There's an organization in Germany called the CVJM, Christlicher Verein Junger Männer, Christian Organization of Young Men, or YMCA. I have arranged for you to go camping in Italy with the CVJM. You will go to a town called Camoglie. You will be there three weeks. I understood most of what he said. He'd gone slowly so I could try to get it. I had a vision of, of a bunch of young guys in backpacks and lederhosen marching through the Italian Alps singing, Edelweiss, Edelweiss, every morning you greet me. Nah, not going to happen. Uli said it was a great idea and I agreed. All right, get your things in order. You leave next week. Later, I asked Uli for more details. I'd written down my questions. Where do we get backpacks, tents? How about cooking gear and hiking boots? We are not going hiking, he said. Camolia is not in the Alps. It is on the Mediterranean Ocean, on the Italian Riviera. We have small rooms, two people to a room, bunk beds. They cook for us. That sounded better. I had no idea what the Riviera was, but I did love the ocean. So how many boys go to this camp? About 20 young men. That's not a big camp. I remembered my days at camp as a kid at Lake Sequoia. Maybe 300 boys at a time. Well, there'll be about the same number of Machen there as well, he said. Machen? I thought. Girls? Girls with boys at a YMCA camp? Are you sure? Positive. Who'd want to spend three weeks with only a bunch of guys? I thought, what if they're a bunch of seventh graders? How old are these girls? Everyone is between 18 and 21 years old. No little girls, no little boys. My friend Kai is going with us too. It should be a fine time. Man, it sounded a whole lot better now. So we started getting ready. A few words about my language skills. No matter how hard you work, and I studied a lot, it takes time to learn any language, much less German. I was frustrated much of the time. I was tired much of the time because of concentrating so hard on what people were saying and then searching in my brain for the correct response or any intelligent response. At times, I thought my head would explode. Now, my guest parents and brothers were incredibly supportive. Communicating with me was often like communicating with a young child. Dein Deutsch wird immer besser, they'd say. Your German is constantly improving. So, 
The day came to leave for Italy. Fatih drove us to the main train station in Duisburg, neighboring city. It was a special train that went nonstop from Duisburg to Genoa. And we had our own car in this train, sleeping car. So we got on about 11 p.m. We were a happy group of boisterous young Germans and one other. I was the only foreigner. Uli was my chaperone. Every time I met someone and they learned I was American, they'd start to speak to me in English. Uli would jump in. Entschuldigung, ernst ist mit uns Deutsch zu lernen und Deutsch zu sprechen. Bitte schön, es hilft ihm nicht, Englisch zu hören. Excuse me, ernst is with us to learn German and to speak German. It doesn't help him to hear English. Ja, ja, selbstverständlich, in Ordnung. So some people had brought liter bottles of beer, some had wine, we talked, laughed. They were smoking cigarettes, we listened to music, we slept a little bit. We passed through Frankfurt, Basel, Milano, finally got to Genoa, got on a bus that took us to the town of Camolia. It was about 13 hours later. Our camp was in the town, a series of not residence halls, but buildings with small rooms, one bunk bed, Two beds to a room, several large bathrooms, a kitchen area, and a large dining room common area. That was it. Rules were simple. Frühstück, breakfast, 7.30 to 8. Mittag essen, lunch, the main meal of the day, 12.30 to 1. And Abend essen at 6.30 to 7. If you were late, you missed the meal. The camp was fenced with three strands of barbed wire over the top. Curfew was 11 o'clock p.m., gates locked. Lights out at midnight. You're out, you stay out. Oh, seemed easy enough to me. Life was pretty simple. We try to sleep as late as possible and still get to the dining hall before 8. We'd spend a couple hours at the beach. Oh, most of the beaches on this coast are rocks. So if you were to read any tourist literature, it might say, the beach here consists of coarse sand and pebbles. Yeah, big pebbles. Well, I didn't find much sand either. But when you're 18 in Italy and away from most adults, what do you care? After lunch, folks would take a siesta before heading back to the beach or go for a walk or whatever. Lunch would consist of some form of pasta, lots of spaghetti, linguine, sometimes with some fish, maybe a salad, maybe a tiny bit of pork hidden in there, fruit for dessert, nothing extravagant. Beats cooking over a campfire. I wanted to say that to Uli and Kai, but it was just too complicated. I spent about three hours a day on my studies. Uli would give me writing assignments as well. He would read them, frequently with some chuckles and smiles at my very unique way of expressing myself. He helped me expand my growing book of useful phrases to listen for and to interject in conversation, such as, Das glaube ich auch. I too believe that. Or, Ja, das habe ich auch gedacht. Yeah, I thought that too. 
couple of these at the appropriate time and people think you're more clever than you really are. Suppers were simple. Frequently some kind of butterbrot or belaitesbrot, simple sandwich of bread with some cheese or lunch meats, sausage. And of course, we drank wine with our meals, lunch and dinner. Very exciting for me after life in Fresno. Every evening we went to town. They had fireworks, excellent fireworks every night out over the harbor. It seems every tourist and local was out at night. The Italian lira was a pretty weak currency. And in those days, the Damoc was strong. We could afford a beverage. So Kai and Uli knew how to communicate with my level of German. And we enjoyed ourselves. It's funny. Every time we ran into any American or English girls, they'd turn to me and say, Ernst, du bist dran. Ernie, you're up. And I'd have to break the ice. So much for only German. It took us only one night to realize that the 11 p.m. curfew was totally unreasonable on the Italian Riviera in the summer. Why, fireworks just started at 10. The next morning, we walked covertly around the fence line of the camp to find its weaknesses. We found a spot where a big tree grew outside the compound with a big branch that stuck out over the barbed wire and to the edge and into our camp. There was a building with a lower roof outside next to the tree. If we move this barrel, we can climb on the roof of the building, climb up on the branches of the tree, shimmy out past the barbed wire, and carefully drop into the grass there, said Uli. Kai, always up for some adventure, said, Tonight, let's give it a try. So that night, at 10.30, 10.45, when our campmates were hurrying back to beat curfew, we stayed out, had an extra glass of wine, watched the girls, and headed home when we were good and ready. We got back to our secret entrance, climbed up on the roof, climbed into the tree, crept along the big branch, and dropped down, one by one. No one saw us. The only problem was we were giggling like a bunch of girls. So, that was it. The three of us had perfect freedom after that. We stayed out as late as we wanted, any time we wanted. One day, a bunch of us went down to the beach. Oh, something about beaches in Liguria or the Riviera. The beaches range from fully equipped beach clubs that you have to pay for to free and open to everyone sections. These public sections have no chairs or lounges, just rocks. And that's where we went. We didn't spend a lot of time laying down, taking the sun. I'm in the water swimming, about six feet deep, and I feel something brush my leg. I reach down, and what the heck, it's an octopus. I grab it. Now, I'd never had an octopus in my hands in my life, but I held on to it and got to the shore. It had a big head and kept wrapping itself around my arm. Ouch! It bit me on the arm. Ouch! Then again. So I showed it to my pals and was about to throw it back in the water when an Italian guy comes up. Guarda il polpo! Guarda il polpo! Hey, look at the octopus! He then asked me if he could have it. He said something like he'd cook it, a delicacy. 
E molto delizioso, he says. I gave it to him gladly. We'd run into that guy on the beach fairly regularly. He'd point to me and say, Guarde l'americano con il polpo. Look, it's American with the octopus. He'd then hold his fingers to his mouth and kiss him in the international sign. Delizioso, he'd say with a big grin. One night, the three of us are out late again. Uli and Kai are ready to head home. I'd met this Italian girl. I'm talking with her. I tell him, you go on. I'll have one more glass of wine and I'll join you later. So I head home some time later. It's dark at our secret entrance. I'm glad I wasn't driving a car that night. I climb up. I shimmy over, drop down, make it to my room undiscovered. I get up the next morning. My head is a little fuzzy and I make it into breakfast just in time. Someone comes by and says, Ah, Ernst, spät nach Hause gekommen, with a big smile. Ah, Ernst, come home late last night. Someone else says, Ernst, feel gefeiert gestern Abend. Did you have a big celebration last night? He's grinning. I couldn't figure out how they knew. I ran into Uli and Kai, who weren't smiling. What are these people talking about? Come with us, they said. They lead me over to our tree. Oh, I forgot to tell you. Nights would get cool. We'd take a sweater with us if we needed it. Tie it around our waist. Uli says, look. Now it made sense. High in the tree was my sweater, stuck on one of the branches. Everybody walking by could see it. A good laugh for everyone. We finally had to pack up. Our summer on the Riviera was over. My German had improved quite a bit. I had new pals from all over Oberhausen and the area, and some I left in Italy. We're going to leave all those people on the train heading north to the industrial center of Germany. I remind you that these podcasts are sponsored by Anashira, maker of the finest handcrafted face, hand, and body soap in the world. Oh, one of my customers, a retired Navy officer, told Don yesterday that he shaves with it, and only with it. He shaves his face and his head. He does have a pretty good-looking skull. I got a question from Mary Lynn from Florida last week. She asked about Molly, Clifton's horse. She said she thought Mustangs were only male horses. What's the story? So I went to Clifton Buckner, our local expert on horses and Molly's owner. He explained that Mustangs were wild, free-ranging horses of the American West. They were originally descended from horses that the Spaniards brought to the Americas, but those are all gone. Most today come from unclaimed ranch stock and cavalry horses released on federally owned lands. They are males and females. He said each horse is branded on the left side of the neck by the Bureau of Land Management before being offered up for adoption. The brand is in the International Alpha Angle System, and it indicates the registering organization, which is the BLM, the horse's year of birth, and the registration number. He had showed me Molly's brand years ago, 
We pulled up our mane to see it again. I hadn't understood that brand before, its significance, and now I do. If you'd like to help us spread the word, please rate us and review us on iTunes. Tell your friends to subscribe. Ever get tired of listening to The Daily or Up First at the breakfast table? Hey, put on an episode of Stories from Anashiro and add something positive to your life. So join me next time when I tell you about what it's like to go to school with some of the smartest guys in Germany when you only understand half of what's going on. We'll also spend some time, too much, inside a German hospital in my next episode of Stories from Anashira.